Welcome to another Fasten Like Nails podcast. I'm Mark Camby. I'm here in the studio with my good friend, Colin Smith. Colin, good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so this year, you and I have been teaching a lot. We've been teaching in the Master's Guild, our, our collegiate um, program here. And I think last semester, you, you did a course called Chaos and Order, remember? Yep, I did. I did. I did an in-depth study of the cultures of Babylon and Egypt, which are the formative cultures out of which we get Abraham and Moses. Oh, wow. I never thought of it that way. Um, tell us a little bit about, just briefly, you know, like the the Babylon culture, was that a culture of order and the Egyptian culture, a culture of chaos or the uh, in reverse? Yeah. So um, like all civilizations, they came up around a certain area and the, the, the area defined their religion, oh, which is Romans 1. Romans 1 talks about they worship the creature rather than the creator. Interesting. So in Babylon, um, the rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, were largely chaotic. Um, based upon the snows in the region of Mount Ararat and the snowfall for the year, you could get a flood that destroyed everything, or you could get a drought and you could go without a crop. So they generally around that culture, you saw a chaotic pantheon of gods. Interesting. And the reverse in Egypt, you had a very stable river in the Nile. It flooded on like every year the same amount. So in Egypt, you saw a very stable society and you saw a very stable group of gods and religion. Oh, wow. It's interesting. Um, and I, I, from what I heard, I only was able to attend a few times, but that was one of my all-time favorite courses. Um, you also taught um, art history. You taught the book of Exodus. Um, you taught earlier this year, you were teaching um, biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. So of all the courses, and this is a tough question, which one do you think was your favorite? Oh. If you could choose one. If I could choose one, um, I'd probably be chaos in order. Yeah? Okay, so let's bring that back next semester, God willing. <laughs> <laughs> Put a little pressure on you right now. <laughs> so, okay, so that's the Master's Guild, our collegiate program, and it is it was filled with all kinds of teachers this year. We had Gary Valvel teaching um, visual arts. We had a, a Supreme Court state um, justice that came here teaching Constitution law and the Bible. Um, we've had... Um, Phil Lawler, who helped invent Adventures and Odyssey and Jungle Jam and Friends, he taught story, story creation. Um, we had production. Um, we had um, directing. We produced our own drama, two dramas this year. Um, we had culinary yep. um, with Christina, Kathy Buchanan in script writing, Dan Schwabauer in script writing as well, and then we had. Um, um, horticulture just ending this semester with uh, Noah Sanders. That was phenomenal. I think what I loved about all the courses, and, and I'm missing several, but what I loved about the courses here this year is that it wasn't so much the content that they taught, which was exceptional. It was the it was the character of the person who taught them. Yeah. You know, they were just, um, everyone was in love with Christ and talked about the real struggles that they've got to battle. And so God just really blessed. Not, we also had the book of Proverbs. I taught that. We had um, biblical theology um, we taught advanced biblical theology. I think we won't do that next year. Next year, we'll just teach biblical theology. I'm excited. I ended with the book of Hebrews, Colin. Yep. You and I taught the last course together. Yes. It was amazing. In fact, it inspired me to start studying now for next uh, next spring semester. Mm. That's going to be an amazing study, I think, especially for our times. You know, yeah. separating the sheep from the goats, those who really believe and those who are, you know, when they experience a little bit of trial, they tend to to jump ship. Okay, 
So this, the reason we're here right now is that this morning, this paper here. Now, this oh, doesn't no. mean a lot. <laughs> I know you don't want to do this, but we're going to do it anyways. This is not... Edit col- out the paper. <laughs> this is not Colin's in-depth study of, um, no. of his life. But I-, I was just looking at this paper, and I'm going like, oh, not another circle thing. That's what no, it looks like. Oh, no. And then, then I told Colin, it reminded me of somebody else, and he was like, oh, don't look at it. No, no. No, but there's some things in here that I think are incredible because it really helps define the meaning for a person's life, the, the reason to live. So um, something that you love is in one of the circles, and this is from an old Japanese... Uh, it's a Japanese concept, yeah. It's, um, there's a book on it, and I think it's a Los Angeles Best Times... Los Angeles Times bestseller called Ikiga. Okay, so even though it's a Japanese thing and yeah. a bestseller and all of that, when I looked at this and caught the concept... All I could think of was Psalm 1611. I will make known unto you the path of life mm. in my presence is fullness of joy and my right hand are pleasures forevermore. It also made me think of Psalm 8411. You know, that the Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. This to me is just one helpful tool to understand what God has called us to do with our lives and why he wants us to be joyful, why he wants us to love what we do and do what we love. I mean, if you could love what you do, do what you love, and get what? Paid for it. Yeah. You're, you're moving something in the right direction, what yep. you say? Yep. Okay, so explain to the the folks that are listening to this and some that are watching this, explain at least the Japanese side of yeah. of these uh, circles. Yeah, so so I would say in, in when you when you look at the book of Proverbs and you look at wisdom literature, uh, Solomon doesn't just go to... Um, Israel. You see some of them, like the Proverbs of Agwa, are, are mm-hmm. foreign kings. You see some of or Egyptian Proverbs. Mm. Um, so there's an idea of compiling wisdom, and, and that's part of what Solomon did. So this is wisdom, and this is not scripture, but this is worldly wisdom. This is wisdom that I believe that God has made into the universe. He's woven into the mm-hmm. universe wisdom. Which and that's is, what Proverbs which says. Which is biblical in and of itself. Yeah. Even though we're looking at a secular... Well, well Proverbs says that God has established wisdom mm-hmm. and order. Um, so this concept is a concept about the right way to live your life. And it's hard to understand. Most people think living your life is just something you make up as you go. But there is a right way to live your life, a life that is well-lived. Mm, beautiful. Um, and so there's this idea of what is a, what is a meaningful, well-lived life. Mm. And when you look at um, all of the wisdom, of you know, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the idea of the Bible talking about friends, um, wisdom being a companion, mm. um, a good life is not just living a life doing amazing things. It's living a life where your time is well spent mm. and your energies are well spent and you're spending that time in and around quality okay. people. Okay, hold on. What you're sharing, just just a little bit that you've shared, Colin, is it is deep and wide. It is so needed for this time in our history. I just finished an interview with somebody who's working at Disney World. Okay, yeah. and he hates what he's doing. Okay, he just he says it's like a rat race. He can't enjoy. He can't enjoy the gift that God has given him. So he's he's using his skill that he loves. He's getting paid for it. Yeah, but he hates what he's doing. Yeah. Okay, and in the environment that he's doing it in. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what we're talking about in with wisdom is that wisdom is so well rounded that you're you with you're with certain people. Yes. You're doing certain things. Yeah. You're receiving a reward for what you're doing. There's a there's a joy and a love that comes out of all of this. That's what people need right now. They need to have purpose and direction so they can love what they do and do what they love. How do they achieve that? Yeah. So there's so th- this concept that I'm going to go over is really it's it's a question that a lot of people are asking right now post COVID. What is like you're going back to work, but you're asking what is the significance of my life? Mm-hmm. What's the meaning? Like it feels so empty. Mm-hmm. And like there's a lot of questions that are people asking. So there's a lot of people searching for truth and for meaning and purpose. And the ultimate purpose is only going to be found in God. Mm-hmm. That's where you find your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you know the purpose for which you were made. And you joyfully pursue that, you're never going to be fulfilled. How do you know? How do you know that? How do you know the purpose of what you? So God has made either each one of us unique, and there's there's several in this concept. There's several ideas of of things that are in your life that you intentionally build and you you cultivate, kind of like a garden. So um, imagine you have a little garden, and your job is to cultivate that garden. Mm-hmm. Um, you need good soil, you need good seeds, and you need to protect it. Mm-hmm. And that's, imagine if you can, this idea of that. So there's four gardens. One is your love, something you love to do. Mm -hmm. Um, The other garden is things that you're good at, something that you're good at doing. You have a natural aptitude or you have honed your skill in Mm -hmm. that thing. Mm -hmm. The other garden is something that you're paid for. And then the final fourth garden is something that the world needs. Um, And these four gardens intersect. Mm-hmm. And just because one is correct and it's well cultivated doesn't mean the other is. So, for instance, you could love something but not really be good at it. Or you can love something but the world doesn't really need that mm-hmm. thing. Or you can be good at something but not be paid for it. So the idea is, is that you have these four gardens and where they intersect, is gonna, it's going to grow. Um, so, in other words, when you love something and you're good at it, the byproduct is going to be that's going to be your passion. Mm. When you love something and the world needs it, that's going to be your mission. mission. Ah, I get it. When you're good at something and you're paid for it, that's going to be your profession. Or your vocation, huh? Yeah. yeah. And then when you're paid for something and it's something the world needs, that's going to be your trade. Okay. So wait a minute. So I misunderstood that then. So that's your vocation. That's your, your vocation. Your trade. So yes. what's the difference between the vocation and what was the other one? Profession. What's the difference between the two? Both are things you do. Um, but when you're paid for something and the world needs it, that's a trade. So when you're a shoemaker and you're paid for it, that's your trade. When you're a shoemaker, you're good at making those shoes and you're paid for it, that's your profession. You're a professional. You're, you're good at that. Ah, got it. Okay, good. So good. When, you're, when you're good at something and you're paid for it, it's your profession. And so where all of these areas come together, when you love something— when you're good at it, when you're paid for it, and when the world needs that thing. When those things come together, that's your reason for living. Wow. Right at the center. Wow. And the key is, is when you look at the gardens that you're tending, um, there's going to be times where one of these gardens needs to be tended. Weeds need to be pulled up. Better soil needs to be planted. You need to plant the proper seeds in those gardens. Higher level of skill needed. Higher level of skill. Practice. You need to tend to it regularly. So you can love something and not be good at it. But when you love it, what you do is you need to say, okay, I'm not good at this. Mm. So the old, uh, the old saying is the obstacle is the way. 
So the obstacle is you're not good at it. Well, that's the way. You need to practice it. You need to find masters to study it. You need to research it. You need to find out what you need to find out. You need to hone your skills. Okay, so I stumbled upon this purely by divine accident, if there's such such a way of phrasing that. Yes. So I knew that I wanted to teach the Bible. That My love is the Bible, okay? Yes. But I wasn't good at it. Yeah. So I enrolled in seminary, you know? And after my master of divinity degree, I went to master of theology degree. And after that, I went for a doctorate. It wasn't because I needed degrees. It was because I needed the advanced skills to be able to be sharp at what I did. Yes. So that allowed me to love, to love what I did, but also to be good at what I was doing. Yeah. But if one of these areas dies, it affects the other areas. Mm. So in other words, if you wane in your love for what you do, you're going to lose the passion. That happened to and me. And then you won't be good at it. Okay, that happened to me. I'm speaking in Florida t- to several thousand people. I've been doing this every year for 25 years. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the same story, same story for 25 years. Okay? Yes. And, and God keeps using it and keeps using it, but all of a sudden I get up there and I'm like, I don't enjoy doing this anymore. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I, and I remember speaking the best I could but it just ran flat inside of me, yeah. and it was like the soul deadness. Yeah. And I'm like, and, I, and I've got to be like, okay, I'm getting paid for it. Yep. I don't love it anymore. Yep. I'm really good at it. So what do I do, Lord? And I decided right then and there that I was going to sp- cease speaking at conferences. Mm. I took the whole next two years off. I didn't speak at all at conferences. Oh, wow. If I, if I spoke, it might have been once or twice. But for the most part, I didn't even, you know, my schedule was empty, and I went back to school. Oh, wow. And tried to finish my dissertation and, and really focus on the things. And as a result of that, I now have new content that I'm loving. I mean, I'll teach yes. it for the next 10 years, the book of yes. Proverbs, you know? Amen, amen. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the way it works. When one garden isn't flourishing, the answer is not to give up. The answer is to work in that garden, to cultivate mm, the love great. you need. Or if you're not good at something, to cultivate that. That's beautiful. And there's going to be plateaus where you get good at something and then you realize, maybe I need to study another discipline mm. to bring that across to mm. this discipline in order to get better at it. Um, and so cross-disciplinary study, um, you get better at things as you start yeah. to grow. Yeah, good. And the same thing is true with things that the world needs. Mm. Um, if you're not cultivating that and you don't see what you're doing as something the world needs, you need to find a way to show the world they need that thing mm. and the importance and the significance of that thing, no matter how meaningless it may seem to them. And there's so many stories about that, things that seem very insignificant, and then someone finds a way to show the world how significant and how, how much this is needed. That's so, It's like a paradigm shift in people's thinking. They, yes. they don't know that they need it. Yes. There's like pre-contemplation, contemplation, then motivation, and then action to acquire what you didn't know you needed. Yes. So so this this actually happened. Here at Lamplighter Ministries, of course, we publish these rare books that God is using to change people's lives significantly, Lamplighter Theater, the audio dramas. There came a time in our history, about um, 17 years ago, maybe, or 15, where a very large Christian ministry that is world-renowned, okay, they found out about us. They um, they had me come to their headquarters, and at that time I think we had like I mean today we got two hundred and thirty eight books. I think back then we had like maybe seventy five eighty books. Okay, and they were you know life transforming books that 
people on, on our ministry was growing, you know? Yeah. And so they brought me down there, and they wanted to take over our ministry. It was they were mm-hmm. gonna what's that word when a company buys assimilate merge yeah assimilate and merge um, acquisition we were gonna become uh. an acquisition and uh, and they were gonna pay me seventy five thousand dollars a year just to keep reading books and telling them what book to print next yeah okay that's all I had to do for the rest of my life kind of cool right sit back with a cup of coffee maybe some some iced tea on a you know, a, yeah. a balcony overlooking the water. That's all I got to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, living Kinda the cool, dream. Huh? Living the dream. Yeah, only it was a nightmare. <laughs> I would hate to do that. Yeah. Oh, I would literally hate that. Not be involved on a daily basis yeah. in classes and printing books and, and drama and directing, all that stuff that I love doing. I would have hated that life. Yeah. But it was a little bit enticing. Just yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay? I, mean, I can imagine so. And then he said this to me, the president. Actually, at that time, he was the vice president. He said, Mark, we have one problem. Your hardcover books with embossed in gold and all this beauty you've got surrounding these these embossed books, he goes, it's not economically feasible. Hmm. He goes, so we're going to pay you the $75,000. We're going to take your company. We're going to really make it internationally known. Hmm. I mean, you're printing you know, a couple thousand books per title per year. We're going to print and publish and sell a hundred thousand of these books per title per year. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, now it's helping me to fulfill my mission, you know, really getting the word out like I can't do like they can. But he said, under one condition, we can't do the hardcover books in Boston Gold and all the beautiful hand handwork that you do with these books. They've got to be soft cover with beautiful colored art. And I looked at him and it was like, it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of like getting, it was inside of me going like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's the only way I can, there was like this huge struggle inside of me, like 75,000, 100,000 books per title per year being out into the world and taking my beautiful books that to me have a message in and of themselves. Mm. Those hardcover books in Boston Gold with beautiful handwork, they make a statement about mm-hmm. God. You know, that God is a God of excellence. He's a God of beauty and craftsmanship. Yeah. And to to do away with that, to me, was doing away with a significant part of what I loved, a part of what I was good at, a part of what my mission was, and what I believed the world needed. Yep. The world didn't know they needed it yet. Okay. Yep. The the world was, you know, McDonald's, fast food restaurants, Wendy's, Burger King, you know, in and out, in and out burger, get in and out and we're done. Okay. We're on to the next thing. Yeah. And soft cover books, you know, mass media, whatever's the quickest, whatever's the fastest. We don't need to read anymore. Just listen to the book. And I thought, no, no, no. The world needs these books. They need to smell it. They need to touch it. They need to open it and handle it. And they need to experience God on a level like the Queen of Sheba experienced the wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. To bring people back to that, that, that root of, of genuine beauty and love mm. of what God did in the very creation. So God held nothing back when he created. And I thought, neither should we. And so at that moment, life changed for me. And as a result, we've held on to this. And now millions of people have had a paradigm shift in their thinking. Yeah. They didn't know they needed this, and they're benefiting from it. And we get, uh, Colin, I'll, I'll, if we if this interview continues, I'll tell you a story that will just give you the goosebumps all over. Mm. I mean, how God is changing the lives, how one man had a noose around his neck in a prison. Mm. He heard one of the stories. 
he took the noose off, you know, and wrote a letter to us mm. and said, you know, not only did he get saved by listening to that drama, but he has a n- new m- meaning and purpose in his life. And so mm. when I saw this this morning, it, it was significant, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a loaded unfair question. Do you want to say something first? Well, yeah, no, I, I think what you said was really helpful and insightful. Um, if you would have given up one of these gardens, mm. the others will suffer and die Whoa. and your soul will die. Whoa. If you give up your reason, t- you give up one of them, you're giving up your reason to live. And that's what drives your company. That's what drives your, your, your whole force of that's what awesome. you're doing. You would have given that up and the rest would have died. And oftentimes you'll encounter people who have sacrificed one of these gardens mm. foolishly to save another. Whoa. So you'll have people who sacrifice doing what they're good at in order to get paid. Mm. And they, there's this false choice, they think, that I have to sacrifice doing what I love in order to get paid. And they never actually realize the obstacle is the way forward, and they need to find a way to get paid to do what they love. Or someone who says, I'm going to sacrifice this, this, this idea of getting paid in order to be good at something, and they're just a starving artist. And I love it, and I'm good at it, and it's enough that it's my passion. And they never truly flourish as they could, mm-hmm. and they're never getting paid for it, if they would just find a way forward, a way to make, to get paid for that, which requires being innovative. It requires cultivating that garden mm-hmm. and working hard in that garden. And oftentimes you'll see opposition from people who have a dead soul because they haven't cultivated their gardens. Mm. And those people are the ones who are the most oppositional when they see someone who is living mm. and has a reason to live that God has given them. Mm. They see that they don't, and they get so angry. Mm. And so mad, and they are going to spread salt in one of those gardens. Mm, wow! You'll never get paid for that. It doesn't matter. You're not good at that. Oh, I I, I don't understand that. That world doesn't need that. Mm. And so, taking away that part of your business would have been taking essentially destroying the whole business. And I don't think they're wise enough to see that. Mm-hmm. And you are wise enough to see that, or at least your instincts were true enough to mm-hmm. avoid that. Yeah. Because cultivating that reason to live—that is the energy in the core. That's going to promote success. Okay, I'm going to ask you a very unfair question. Yes. You ready? Go right ahead. We might. This might sever our friendship. <laughs> okay. Have you arrived at those circles? No. Those gardens? No. Um, I'm currently cultivating those. Um, it's hard work. It's hard work um, because what happens is there's this idea that once you arrive, you've arrived. But the, tr- the reality is it's a constant tending of those gardens and a constant building of them. And, and, you know, you have to guard them. You have to build fences around them to guard them. And you have to nurture and have good soil. And you've got to plant good seeds. So, for instance, when you're, when you're facing opposition and someone attacks or, or lays waste to one of these gardens, you have to replant them. Mm-hmm. Like you, when you encounter people who at their core are bitter and angry and spiteful and and they want to take away from you that which God has given you and mm-hmm. built in you they do it they they do it and so one of the temp- one of the hardest things is when when you see people who say there are Christians acting in a way that is not consistent with Jesus Christ the temptation is is to not love to to blame Christ when reality is, is those it's not Christ's fault; it's their fault. 
And so when your love is under attack, it's the job of every person to say, I've got to step back and cultivate that love mm. and regrow it and rebuild it and replant it. And what that looks like is that looks like spending more time alone in God's word with him, mm. spending more time alone in prayer with him, mm. falling in love with God again. Wow. So that's what I'm in the process of rebuilding my love for God right now because I've come in contact with some very toxic Christians who have attempted to steal from me that which was not theirs to steal. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is no one can steal your joy from you. It's yours. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can only give your joy away. No one can steal your love from you. You're just giving your love away when you let them. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, no one, no one can do that. No, no one can make you sin. What they can do is they can lay waste to you and you believe the lies and the, and of the devil and you ended up doing it yourself. But so, yeah, there's a process of, of constantly cultivating those things that's got to go on in your life intentionally. Mm-hmm. And when you and that's success. So there's never a moment where you've arrived and you no longer need to cultivate that garden. Like any garden, you've got to continue to pull the weeds and continue. to. I have an orchard up yeah. on my my property and I love it. I put great soil yeah. Great seeds, great everything, and the deer destroyed every year because I'm not there to protect it. Yeah, and I haven't put the right fencing around. And yes, um, that's the one area that I have failed in. I do all of these things in the circle, but the one thing that's not in this, by the way, that's not in this circle. Not, yeah. The protection part's not in here. There probably needs to be one huge uh, circle around the whole thing, right? There could be. Yeah, pro- I mean, it's very essential. You protect those parts of your life. Yeah, and you don't give them away. Okay, so I know that was an unfair question, and I thank you for your your open transparency and honesty, but I have not—I mean, one of your great gardens is your love for the Word in the, and your ability to teach it. Yeah. You're, so you're, you're, you, what, what do you think your love is? Um, well, so it goes back and forth because what you're good at, you're going to love. So, like, when you see a master— they, and, and they just are really good at something. They love it because they're good at it, and they're good at it because they love it. It goes back and forth. So I love the Word of God. Um, I absolutely love the structure of it, the form of it, the background, the history. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love being able to sit down and see things in it that I think I've never seen before mm-hmm. and possibly some other people haven't seen. Someone's obviously seen it, but like I can show people things they haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and that love is my, I'm, when I practice and I study, I get good at it. And that's my passion. So from what I've observed, you are one of the best teachers I've ever come across. I know that probably sounds like a outlandish statement to you, but but 38 is, yeah. You're only 38 years old? Only 38. Oh, wow. You're not even 40 yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Those gardens are, the the seeds (laughs) have not fully blossomed. Okay. But. But I have just observed your your teaching. You're you're highly skilled at what you do. You have a love for the Word of God. Yesterday's teaching in Hebrews was just amazing. The the yeah. things that you saw so quickly. Okay, so so you have you have a passion for what you do. Well, yeah, I do. And and here's the thing: I've been very fortunate um, in my life, um, having a parent who was a scholar, um, who from an early age. Um, you know, you talk about your 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell says, I must have had my 10,000 hours in before <laughs> I was 16. Okay, just so for the audience that's not a, not familiar with um, Gladwell's book and yeah. uh, I think it's uh, Talent Code we're yes. talking about, right? Yes. Explain the 10,000 hours. Well, there's hours. an idea that in order to be a master of something, you need to spend at least 10,000 hours 
doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate. I had a parent who was a very skilled scholar, Bible teacher, and there was a lot of church involved. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of study. So the amount of Bible study and being around this other master, um, I think... Man, I must. I wasn't even out of junior high before I had ten thousand hours of Bible study under my belt. Um, it was every day, all day. Um, just being around a master is another part of it. Mm. A part of those ten thousand hours because masters are. It's the way they do things and the way they think that you want to learn from as much as what they do and what they think. Okay, I'm. I'm like so. I got the goosebumps. You ready? Now, what what I love about my relationship with Colin is that, as you can see, I'm like extreme on the passionate side of yeah. things. You know, extremely excited, you know, like I'm and Colin just kind of like, mm-hmm, you know, so we're like we're like opposites in our personalities. But I don't know. We love each other so much. I love you dearly. Yeah. But what you just shared just triggered off all of these all of these thoughts about. I don't know which one to share first. Um, OK, so this is this is this is cool. So this is a true story. It's a potter. Um, he's one of the most famous potters in the world. He lives in Japan. Uh, and doesn't speak English, and there's this lady down in um, California. I'm not going to tell you exactly where because you'll probably someone will know about her, but she's also a quote master potter. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. But her life dream is to go to Japan and study under the master of masters. Mm. Okay, she's been writing letters for years. Finally, she got a return reply, mm. and um, says to come. The master would be glad to um, spend some time with her. And, um, well, he didn't actually say spend time with her. It just said, come and the master will mentor you. Hmm. So she went for a month. And the the um, assistant picked her up at the airport, brought her over there. And the next morning she got up, she had breakfast, but there was no master. You know, hmm. she got to go into a studio every once in a while when the master wasn't there and see his pottery and collection. But she never got to talk to him. Hmm. And the next day, the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. The next week, the same thing. The next two weeks, the same thing. The next three, four weeks, the same thing. She never got to see the master. Mm. She got to see his work. And at the end of the month, the assistant took her to the airport and sent her home. Um, and she was like extremely ticked off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine spending all that money and for your, your life's goal, being able to come true and never once this she thought, how rude could this be? Why would he why would he do something like that to me? Yeah. So she gets home and she gets a letter from the master. And this is what the letter said. You have passed the first test and learned the first lesson of becoming a great potter. Hmm. Dash. Patience. Uh... The master. <laughs> is that amazing or what? That is amazing. Wow. And so, you know, when I when I read that story and then, you know, really thought of Gladwell's, yeah. you know, book on the 10,000 hours of, you know, yeah. really, really spending the amount of time that we need to to craft our yeah. our skills, you know, to get to reach. And there's not a lot of people today that are reaching high levels of excellence. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons is they don't see things rightly. Um, so like the master story, um, one of the things when you're around masters, you realize is that their craft and their their trade, all of these gardens they cultivate, are cultivating a reason for living. But really, all of these things are going to be opportunities. All these garden cultivating moments are mm-hmm. opportunities to learn virtue and to practice virtue. Mm. So, 
um, when you're so patience is a virtue. Mm-hmm. And so the master was teaching a virtue. Mm. And really being a master is ultimately about building virtue in yourself, mm. using your trade and applying it, but using it to build virtue in yourself. Use it, and that's that's I think that's truly what a master is. Wow. It's someone who sees the end goal as virtue, mm-hmm. not just a product. And the, the so the thing the master is producing is a product. But the real product is virtue, and that's pleasing to God. Mm. Like the vine. Mm-hmm. The vine bears grapes. It doesn't bear grapes so that I can talk about what great a vine it is. It doesn't bear grapes for anyone else but the master or the, the vineyard, the person who owns the vineyard, so they can enjoy it and be pleased. Mm. Virtue is something we produce in ourselves so God can be pleased with us. Mm. We do it for him because we are his. Mm. So true mastery, one of the things I've learned is that masters have um, things that they do that, that don't make sense to other people because people think the pursuit is pottery. Mm-hmm. No, the pursuit is virtue. Mm. And the pottery is the byproduct of that pursuit of excellence, of mastery, of patience. And all of these things you learn are going to be what makes those pots great. Mm. And so when you pursue the right things, the product that comes out of that is mm. going to be exceptional. Mm. And the reason why so many people get to a level of mastery but never attain to that higher level is because they don't seek virtue. Hmm. Wow, Colin. I think of all the podcasts and broadcasts that I have conducted over the year, this one, this one's very significant and meaningful, not just to me, but I think to all of our listeners. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this is another Fasten Like Nails broadcast. I'm with my dear friend, uh, Colin Smith one of our uh, professors here at the Master's Guild, and we look forward to spending more time with you in the future. God bless. Thank you. Look at all the, the treasure this thief has gathered. Everyone has moments of fear. Get away! I will burn you. Everyone up! Now, we must seek higher ground. This is the story of one family. My name is Virgilius. I, I owe you my life. Who risks all to follow Jesus. But you would do well in the house of a Roman to keep such wild thoughts to yourself. See their faith put to the test. What is that noise? There is nothing to fear, little one. The Lord has kept us safe this far. Father, please don't make me go in there. Face your fear with faith on a perilous journey through ancient Rome in Lamplighter Theater's newest audio drama, Dash to Pieces. Order your copy today at lamplighter.net or call 1-888-A-GOSPEL. That's 1-888-THE-LETTER-A-GOSPEL. Looking for an opportunity to experience God in ways beyond your imagination? This summer, put faith into action as you work side-by-side with master teachers to recapture the arts and redefine creative excellence. Presenting the Lamplighter Guild, a week of mentoring and apprenticeship in creative writing, story creation, stage and voice acting, sound design, music composition, music design, photography, filmmaking, culinary, horticulture, and biblical theology. Explore your passion and unlock your full potential through God's unfolding plan. Register today and learn what it means to know God intimately, proclaim Him passionately, and enjoy Him infinitely at the Lamplighter Summer Guild. Go to lamplighterguild.com or call 1-888-THE-LETTER-A-GOSPEL. 
That's lamplettergilds.com or 1-888-the-letter-A-Gospel.